0: So we're in this little study in 1st John. It's right near the end of the book. If you could turn there, 1st John chapter 2. We're going to be continuing. So let me ask you a quiz question. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer in Jesus? Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? How do you prove it? Now tell somebody near you. How do you prove it? Give it your best shot. Go ahead. Tell somebody near you, how do you prove that you're a Christian? All right. I know that answers come out sometimes like, well, I'm a good person or I attend church or I pray or I give or I serve or I grew up in a Christian family or, well, my mom prayed a lot. You know, But how do you prove that you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? The Apostle John gives us the answer in this little paragraph. So here we have an open book test. I mean, you could have read ahead if you wanted, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to know the answer. And uh, John had this profound life-transforming experience when he met Jesus. His life was never the same again. I mean, have you ever had one of those, a profound life-transforming experience where life just didn't return to what you'd call normal? I mean, maybe it was... You know, having an auto accident, or maybe it was meeting your favorite famous person and getting to shake their hand, or maybe it was something they said. Maybe it was having a baby. Maybe it was 9-11. Maybe it was some disease or illness. You know, for a guy named Fyodor Dostoevsky, who was a writer and a poet in Russia, um, he kind of fell in with a political group on the wrong side of things. He got arrested. He was sentenced to die in Siberia by firing squad in a December. They took him out. It was like 20 below zero, tied him to a stake, put a bag over his head, and he expected at any second to be shot. After 20 minutes, they took the bag off of his head, and they put him back in his cell. Well, life was never never the same after that. I mean, every moment was a gift. he make every day count. In his uh, writings, in his novels, his characters, if they're sad, they're not just sad, they're suicidal, okay? If they're happy, they're not just happy, they're ecstatic. There's no in-between. You either love or you hate, and uh, there's none of this lukewarm stuff uh, in-between. John had one of those moments on the last day he saw Jesus alive, a moment that changed his life forever. Here's a guy that Jesus had called along with his brother, sons of thunder, and he becomes the apostle of love. I'm going to read the passage in just a moment, but if you don't have a Bible and you want one, they'll have, bring one from the back. Just raise your hand because I want you to have it where you can read it yourself. And uh, anybody, just raise your hand. They'll, they'll bring one right to you. Okay, well, good. So everybody's in 1 John chapter 2. Here's what he said, starting verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John saying something old, something new. Which is it? Now, John has grown up as a nice Jewish boy in a nice Jewish home. His dad has a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. He's got his older brother, James, so you know he's learned some hard lessons. Anybody here have an older sibling and you had to learn how to negotiate? Yeah, you know, from a position of weakness. And um, so John and his brother would have gone to school and they would use what we call the Old Testament as the textbook to learn to read and to learn about God and learn how to do life. And in the Old Testament, probably some of the most famous verses are what's called the Shema, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the companion one that God gave to Moses a little later, love your neighbor as yourself. These commandments have been around a long time. They're old. They're tried. They're true. They're easy to say. They're easy to understand. They're hard to do. Originally, they're given to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai by God. And so God is up there communing with Moses, the two of them just having this sweet fellowship for, uh, for 40 days. Or, or, and uh, at the bottom of the mountain are all the people uh, that were set free from Egypt. And who, we don't know exactly how many people. Some people have estimated more than a million. Just imagine this. Imagine the largest crowd you ever saw at one time. Maybe you were, you know, in a crowd of 40, 60, 80, 100,000 like at the Rose Bowl. And suddenly all those people were forced into going on a camping trip together when nobody even had a pickup truck, okay? And um, you, all you had for your whole, all your worldly possessions are what you could carry on your back, and um, now you're at the foot of this mountain and it's freezing at night and you're frying during the daytime and food is a challenge and it's boring, it's the same thing every day and water is hard to get a hold of and sanitation and sleeping conditions are far from ideal and your neighbors are just crowded all around you. And then Moses comes down the mountain and says, look, it, here's what God's saying, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor like yourself. Anybody been on a camping trip with the, the people next to you go, this would be so much fun if they just weren't here? Yeah. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love him just as much as I love myself. Love your neighbor because he's like yourself. I mean, it's easy to understand. It's hard to do. It's kind of like a test. You could be sure that getting along with neighbors has tested people's character and good nature and friendliness and compassion since the time that people began to be called neighbors. I'm not going to need that page so you can relax. Relax. You'd probably be glad it would be that much shorter. (laughs) Anybody have a neighbor that's hard to love? Okay, yeah, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but I raised mine. And this old commandment is the word that you've heard. The old commandment is love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And John knew these. He had learned them at home. He had learned them at school as a boy. It was old stuff. It was easy to understand. It was hard to do. Then comes along Jesus into the world and into John's life and it's like they've been in the darkness and then now suddenly there's a little bit of a glow because the the light is about to arrive and if you've ever watched a sunrise where then then there's just a little rays and then the sun uh, begins to peak above uh, the horizon and, and the darkness is being pressed back until it's gone altogether. Jesus is something new. And during His ministry, Jesus was asked... What is the greatest commandment? And some people were asking because they really wanted to know so they could please God. And other people were asking because they just wanted to test Jesus to see if they could trap him in his words. And he taught toward the end of his epic sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Toward the end of that sermon, he said, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets which the law and the prophets are the two major sections of the Old Testament. In other words, he's saying this sums up the Bible. This sums up God's word to you. Do this because it's from God. And it's become to be known to us as the golden rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. So that's how you love your neighbor. Now, at one point was Jesus was teaching this. There's a heckler in the crowd who uh, stands up and uh, asks a question, but he wasn't really interested in the answer. He was really interested in just Jesus saying, you're a really good guy. You're going to make it into heaven on your own merits. And uh, it's recorded in Luke chapter 10. says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. He didn't say, know this and you will live. Read this and you will live. Memorize this and you will live. Discuss this in Sunday school and you will live. He said, do this and you will live. It's easy to understand. It's hard to do. But Jesus is so smooth, isn't he? Don't just know it. Don't just have it in your head. Do it. Keep it in your heart. Live it with the people around you. But it says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jericho or Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. That road is 17 miles long. It's virtually all downhill. And most of the people who got to Jerusalem came from Jericho up that road. Because then from Jericho you could actually go north along the Sea of Galilee, along the Jordan River up to the Sea of Galilee and get to Galilee without having to go through the area of the Samaritans. And so most of these people had traveled this road, and they've all dealt with the fear of being robbed while they were traveling. It says a man was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothing, they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead, which is a euphemism for unconscious. Well, then a priest happened to be going down the same road, probably in our situation that would be one of the pastors, maybe the senior pastor, <laughs> I hope not, and, and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, that would be a leading layman, maybe a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, when he came to the place he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and at that point in the, the first time Jesus told this story, <gasps> there would have been a huge gasp. You gotta be kidding, you're making our enemy? The person we hate the most, the hero of your story? We're supposed to denigrate them. We're not supposed to talk about something they might have done right. I mean, they didn't even talk to those people. They're invisible at best, even though they're among us, and they're our enemy at worst. And then as a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which, Jesus asked, do you think of these three was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And in the Greek, it's which of these proved neighborly? Jesus takes the the noun neighbor and turns it into a verb. Which of these people neighbored the Samaritan? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even get himself to say the Samaritan. It's the one who had mercy. And Jesus once again said, go and do likewise. Live it. Oh, it's easy to understand It's hard to do. Jesus expands this idea of love your neighbor to include more than just the stranger who lives in the house next door. I mean, he asked, who proves neighborly? I mean, this is new. This takes it to a whole new level. I mean, we can often do okay being neighborly if we stay in our little box and we talk to the people we know and like and the people who are like us and speak our language and and worship God just like we do and vote the same way and whatever other exclusions we want to give ourselves so we can say, there, we loved everybody. Just left the nobodies out. But Jesus broke out of the box to include anybody who crosses our path. So our paradigm has to do more than shift. It has to break and start over with Christ as our source of light and direction. It's easy to understand. It's hard to do. I mean, you wouldn't even attempt it unless you were committed to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus came as the light of the world, and a new day is dawning. The sun is rising. And after this, Jesus took John and the other disciples to Jerusalem on what turned out to be their last trip there. They were down there at least once a year. During Jesus' three uh, years of ministry, but on this particular trip, which they didn't know at the time was going to be their last, Jesus did, and he had said to, to them, they just didn't get it, but he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was well documented. So Jesus was so popular that people gathered on, on the uh, Mount of Olives as they're walking in. They saw Jesus, and uh, he's getting on a little donkey, and people crowd around, and they have what we call the triumphal entry as people are yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's riding down into the Kidron Valley and up the other side and into the city of Jerusalem. Roman guards on the top of the wall watching. Is this a disturbance? Do we need to go out and, and to, to, to quash it, or what's going on? And the people are saying, he's the king He's the king. This was very dangerous talk, but they knew he had the power over life and death. He could make the blind to see. He could make the lame to walk. He could heal people from diseases. He could still the storm with a word. He's God. So they go in the city of Jerusalem, and he doesn't begin to do the things that they expect him to do as king. Instead, he turns over the table of the money changers in the uh, courtyard of the temple. Jesus has grieved over Jerusalem for its hardness of heart, for living in the darkness even as he came as the light of the world. And that year they celebrated the Last Supper, which was celebrated every year by uh, Jewish people, who religious, who celebrate the Passover meal, basically to remember God's goodness, God's deliverance from the disaster of slavery and set them free from sin, carried them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. And he wanted him to remember it. So once a year, they would have this little meal. That's, at, at that meal, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And he began what we call communion. Jesus and his disciples gathered together for that meal, for that celebration time. And John is seated right next to Jesus. And that was the moment that transformed him. He's never the same after that. You know, earlier in his life, John and James had been called sons of thunder. And he has this whole transformation in his life of going from being a son of thunder pushing for his own way to being the apostle of love. James had been pretty loud and pushy and brash, and Jesus had transformed his heart. In fact, even on this trip to Jerusalem, James and John's mother had approached Jesus with them and said, hey, I want to ask you for a special favor. When you come in your kingdom, which she expected to happen that week, would you have my two sons, one on your right, one on your left? They can't sit in your seat, so can they be in the two places of honor right next to you? That doesn't exactly square with love your neighbor as yourself, does it? I mean, it's pretty self-promoting. But that dinner and what happened after Jesus, what happened, you know, stuck with John. He's sitting next to Jesus, and Jesus had surprised them. They'd come in, and somebody's supposed to be there to wash their feet because they're all dusty. And that person wasn't there, and nobody said anything, and nobody did anything. And finally, Jesus got up and washed everybody's feet. The job of the servant And then he's talking about how one of the people in their group is going to betray him. And everybody's curious. And most of them start by saying, Lord, is it I? Is it I? But Peter, of course, he has to know. So he signals John because he's sitting next to Jesus. Hey, ask him, who is it? John's leaning on Jesus. He's sitting there right next to him. He's able to say, well, who is it, Lord? And Jesus is able to tell him. It's going to be Judas. John learned it right from Jesus. He's close enough to whisper. But then Jesus has this zinger. He looks at the group after Judas has left and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another by this. Everyone you'll know, you're my disciples. If you love one another, easy to understand, hard to do. Love one another. You go, Jesus, are you serious? I mean, look at these guys around the table. They're so average and from John's point of view, not, none of them are as young as I am or as smart as I am or as good-looking as I am or can run as fast as I do, and they're kind of irritating at times how slow they move and the questions they ask, and they just don't get it, and they're doubting, and, and they run away when things get tough, and you're saying love one another? How is this new? Jesus brought in this new era Where this love is now fully visible, God in the flesh, and He's commanding God's people not just to know it, not just to give it lip service, but to live by it, starting with other believers. That's not just neighbors who live out there. He's saying, love one another. John even picks it up when he writes it. He says, love them as you would love a brother, as you would love a sister. Brothers and sisters in the faith, as we are to each other, we're a family. Love one another. I mean, Jesus lived this out. He's our prime example of how to live this command to love. He gave his all. He's the light of the world, and he's calling us to live in the light. Very next, in effect that night and the next day, Jesus goes on to show and live out the greatest love imaginable. Dying on the cross for the sin of the world, for yours, for mine, so we could be made right with God. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love in, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before the world was created, there was chaos and darkness. And one of the first commands God spoke was, let there be light. And there was light because of the power of God. Jesus was there creating After sin entered the world, there was brokenness in the fellowship between God and man, and there was darkness once again. The world was plunged into a deep spiritual darkness, and God began to do His redemptive work to bring some light, first by giving His Word, then by giving a promise of a hope of a coming Savior, then sending Jesus into the world, and the light began to shine. The light of the world arrived in the flesh, a real person and yet fully God at the same time. It was like the morning sun was pushing back the darkness even though it wasn't yet at its apex it wasn't at its peak see during his lifetime Jesus' love was able to shine brightly and dispel the darkness Jesus is the light of the world and in the future in heaven Jesus is the light source for all of heaven, for all of eternity that's bright, it's powerful In fact, I didn't get it into the notes in time for them to make a slide, so you'll have to look with me. Revelation 21, it's the next to last chapter in the Bible. In fact, if you go to the very last page, we could read the first few verses of chapter 22 in Revelation to get the same thrust. But in Revelation 21, verse 22, John has this vision of Christ, and he says, I did not see a temple in the city, the new city of Jerusalem, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, Are its temple. And the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Jesus isn't just the light of the world, he's the light of the universe. He's the light of heaven. It says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That'll be awesome. We'll be in heaven with Jesus, the light of the universe. His light will light up all of heaven. All the time. But we're not there yet. And until then, God is wanting to bring the light of the world to light up the world so fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ reflect his light into a dark world. That's our job. So are you a Christian? Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Do you live in the light of Christ? Here's how you prove it. Love your brother. Love your sister. Go Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know them. That's hard. (laughs) Right? It's easy to understand. It's just hard to do. It's the overarching message of these verses. Keep the commandment of love. Live it. How do you prove that you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus? You live in love. You love though your neighbor. You love your brother. You love your sister. You love your fellow believer. You push past their idiosyncrasies, and you forgive and forget and uh, what they said or what they did that was hurtful, and you just love. You really love That's how you confirm that you're living in the light. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. At the same time, it's the new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, may that be us. Help us to take this and to grapple with it not where it's easy and fun but where it's tough to love the unlovable ones in our lives. We all have them. Irregular people, hard to love. People with rough edges. And I pray that You will just give us that power to live as sons and daughters of God, to reflect the light of the world, Jesus, to a dark and broken world in such a way that they see you. They stop stumbling. Give us the power to just abide in your light and to someday see you face to face. What a great moment that will be. In Jesus' name, amen.